You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. Uh-oh. Where's the other Matt? I'm a Matt. Oh my gosh. The, wait, wait, which Matt is this? This is the other Matt. The other other Matt. <laughs> <laughs> is this the Matt from Horror Movie Night? That's one of the many of the things that I am on, yes. Yeah, well, you have 15, 16, maybe 800 podcasts. But... We are talking sex, murder, and puppets, so it's kind of good that you're here. Oh, because I do love most of those things. That's true, especially the murder part. And we are talking, <laughs> and we are talking, happy time murders. Someone out there is killing puppets. We're going to catch the person who did these murders. I think I found the murder weapon. You gotta be kidding me. You're one of the best damn cops I've ever seen. You know, bag of crap yourself. I... I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say thank you to that. Hit the trail, hit the turf, walk the earth! Fight the tip! Yeah! Mom, you pull my gun? No, unless you're talking about your wiener. The Happy Time Murders, rated R. Oh, I thought you were going to say Puppet Master. <laughs> Damn it, wrong puppets. <laughs> you know, that's a good point. I've watched pretty much... A puppet master. Oh my gosh! Back to back movies in the theaters. Puppet master, and then this. Yeah, always about the sex, murders, and puppets. Yeah, I've got it cleared for the year. <laughs> okay, so this was an interesting film, and I know you and I are very biased towards it, so we might as well just get that out of the way. I'm in the middle of reading Jim Henson's biography right now, uh, <laughs> so. It was very interesting to start reading that book immediately after seeing this movie because I won't say how I feel about the Happy Time Murders, but I feel like this isn't what Henson ever wanted to do. Yeah, this was done by his son, Brian Henson, which runs Alternative Henson. Yeah. So, I mean, I understand that it's different. Uh, I'm really interested in what that biography is like because... Oh, who am I thinking of? Also, who just had a documentary done on him. Um, Mr. Rogers? Yes. He very much is like Mr. Rogers, in my opinion. Well, that's the thing. They talk about how he rarely cursed, and he was always about puppetry being taken seriously as an adult form of entertainment without ever having to be in bad taste. And I feel like this movie really goes against all of that, which there was something that I remember talking to my brother about, and I can't remember if it was on an episode of Horror Movie Night or if it was just after we had finished recording, but he said like, you know, I wish that that we could just do a puppet movie that was like a puppet version of a forgetting Sarah Marshall or can't hardly wait. Or like just doing a PG 13 like movie where the joke isn't just that the puppets have sex and curse, but like that it's just a normal cinematic movie with puppets kind of what the Muppet movies and like labyrinth were. Yeah, I do get the point of that because not giving away any spoilers in this film yet, the shock humor runs thin within 10, 15 minutes, in my opinion. 
Yeah, and it sucks because there's a lot to love about the movie, and then it keeps going to the shock humor well, and then you kind of just roll your eyes and groan each time. Yes, I felt the exact same way. After a while, I saw this with my girlfriend, Sarah, and we started looking at each other probably right after the cow scene. Yeah. Which I'll highlight in the spoilers. After that scene, I really felt like the rest was like, can you really top that? Yeah, and that's because at its heart, it's funny because people um, I keep hearing people compare this to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, uh, like with puppets. And what's really interesting about that assessment is that the movie is actually more similar to the book that Who Framed Roger Rabbit was inspired by Who Censored Roger Rabbit. It actually feels like a puppet version of that novel more than it feels like the movie that they actually ended up making because the novel was way more of an authentic film noir thing in which all of the cartoon characters were dealing with prejudice about being cartoon characters in a human world. And it just feels like it actually borrowed a lot more from the book than the, than the Roger rabbit movie because at, at its heart, it's a very decent film noir that just has these moments that, I mean, they get like the shock laugh. And if you're in like a decent theater, you'll get like a big explosion of like, holy shit from the crowd. But it actually hurts the otherwise solid mystery pacing that it had ahead of it. Yeah, it does. It almost is like the shock humor got in the way of a film I was searching for, but never got to fully. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good way to describe it. It also made this movie very flat. Because so much of it was turned up to like dial 10 or 11. And you're like, you keep maxing out and it's no longer cool. It's not funny. Like everything was so flat and the jokes weren't hitting because you were no longer shocked. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, as my opinion of the whole thing, uh, the characters going in this, we had Bill Barnetta. I believe that's uh, Barretta. I believe is how you pronounce his name. Uh, He played the main character in this, the detective. And I love that character. I want it to be known that I actually really, really like the main character in this movie. Well, you felt bad for him because he was humanized or puppetized. I don't know how you'd say that, but you're like, okay, he got the first chance to be a puppet cop and then things went sour. And even though it's not really his fault, he still feels the weight of all of that guilt on him. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so, and but Melissa McCarthy, on the other hand, is useless almost, except for, you know, bouncing lines off the puppets. And again, it got old. But I will say, as tired as I've been of Melissa McCarthy, I did feel like overall this was a little bit more reserved than she does. There were definitely moments where I was like, oh, well, here comes the old Melissa McCarthy bit. But... When she was just being the like the bad cop in the in their dynamic, I was really into it. And I was like, I like I think you said it once already, but it there is a really good movie that's hidden in this mediocre movie, basically. Yeah, I believe it's there because you had a rich leading character. And uh, what was the leading puppet's name? I forget his Phil. name now. Phil. Yeah, when Phil was going through all of his struggles and then kind of Melissa McCarthy's character, which was 
Connie, I believe it was Edwards, yeah. basically. I but I like her character. Are we able to get into the spoiler? I don't want to say anything that's like a well, spoiler I'll yet. Just, yeah, I'll just run through the rest of the characters. Elizabeth Banks, which was Ginny, and she was the lead of the old puppet show in the eighties. She felt awkward in this film. Yeah, very actually. I don't know if it was miscasting or just terrible. Like the whole stripper thing, eh, I was not feeling it. Yeah, and her accent kind of took me out a little bit. I don't understand why she couldn't have just been Elizabeth Banks' regular speaking voice. Yeah. Yep. And then Joel McHale was just himself, which is fine. Which, which is fine. And um, I can't remember his name now, but from The Office was probably my favorite character in the movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I love him from his, you know, The Soup, whatever talk show he's got now on Netflix. Well, no, 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 not not Joel, the the other, uh, the actor that's from the office that plays like the chief of the. Oh, um, Leslie Baker. Yes, I thought that he was fantastic. He was my favorite human character in the film by a long shot. He wasn't like a stereotypical one. He was kind of calm, and he's like, "Hey, you two got to get together and figure this out." Yeah, I'll take that. Well, what I like is that the movie, and this, I don't think this falls into spoiler yet, but like. The movie, you can tell that he thinks that Phil got the short end of the stick and is trying to, like, build a redemption for Phil. And I think that that is a really cool aspect because I think the point, the moments in this movie that work and the moments in this movie that it should have stuck with was the idea of, like, the racial bias of wanting to have a human cop and not a puppet cop in the way that people treat puppets that unless they're a famous puppet from a TV show, they don't like them and don't want to deal with them. And I think that there's a lot of great satire that does touch on what Jim Henson used to do really beautifully in there. And I think that the film noir aspect ties in really nicely with that. Again, it's it's the moments of shock humor that really hurt this movie. I almost wish that we could get a DVD of this that's like the shock humorless version of the movie <laughs> where you can just enjoy it without those like random moments that kind of ruin the rest of the film. Well, I also would like a new edit of this film. I felt like a lot of the physical gags were extended too long, almost like something like Family Guy would do. Absolutely. And if you've seen the trailer, there's a scene that is that goes beyond Family Guy length that yes. plays out even longer in the movie. <laughs> yeah, we'll get it. Okay, so let's introduce... Uh, I thought Maya Rudolph, honestly, was a blast. And I felt like she was... She was great. I thought she was a witty character. And this movie needed more wit, less shock. So I have a quick question for you, Stephen, because I know that we both have the bias of loving puppets and having a very soft spot in our heart for for anything that's Muppet based in general. What is your feelings on film noir as well? Because that's probably one of my favorite genres that I, I always want to see come back. Yeah, it's a really tough, dated actual genre. And while I love what they did in the past, and I do love when it came back briefly in the 80s, like when you look at something like Batman or Batman Returns, which is a little bit more extreme. I love it. Dick Tracy, all these old type things. I just don't know if audiences will ever gravitate to it as much as they used to. Yeah. I love to see like sprinklings of film noir. The reason I ask is because I think that one of the things that works really well for this movie that will be missed on a lot of modern audiences, because like you said, it's not really a genre that a lot of current audiences connect with, is 
how well this movie actually follows the stereotype of what characters are in your film noir. You know what I mean? And like Maya Rudolph's character is absolutely a a type of character that you see in things like The Big Sleep and all of these other famous 40s film noirs. And I think that there's moments in this movie that are really smart in that way. Even the whole mystery follows a very big sleep style. I'm trying to think of what the word would be that I want to say, but almost like pastiche or an homage to, to that story. Yeah, I just think that anyone who is looking for that in their movies, it's going to be so overshadowed with stupid jokes yep. that your people can't appreciate it. So what's this movie is going to get shit on. There are people that are going to put this in their bottom movies of the year. And I, I can't argue it because it was rough to watch. It was yeah. way too long. It needed a new edit. But I can tell you one thing. I've already seen three films this year that I think are worse. Oh, absolutely. I've seen two right off the top of my head. What are your two? <laughs> Death Wish, the reboot remake was awful. Okay. Game Over Man on Netflix. Okay. Stupid. And also, same thing with the shock humor. I'm done. I, I don't want to see a severed penis. I get it. And Slender Man, I don't know. Yeah, that's pretty Slender bad. Man's on mine. Slender Man is probably the worst movie I've seen this year. And right now, because I, you know, Movie Pass and AMC A list have given me absolutely no respect for my own personal time. I would put The Spy Who Dumped Me pretty low on there, too, because that movie, not that I had high expectations for, but I like so many of the people in it that I thought oh, maybe this will be better than the advertisements are. And the advertisements actually promised an even better movie than what I ended up getting. Like, it's a bad movie. <laughs> yeah, that was one I decided to skip. <laughs> Good choice. There's maybe two jokes that work out of an hour and 58 minute <laughs> film. So. And did they put them in the trailer? No, both of them didn't make it in the trailer. But lead that straight into the spoiler part of the show. Here's your warning. The trailer. Um, could we not ruin the good jokes? Yeah. Like the dick one where I'll suck your dick for a dollar. She's like, wow, that's a great <laughs> fuck. Like, oh, damn it. Why why do you keep ruining if this whole thing is built on shock humor? Don't give away the shock. Yeah. I and I this is like I, I feel like the art of the teaser is gone. You and I had a conversation at Monster Mania last year where we were talking about, I think you said it was like the Hellraiser 3 trailer where it was just like looking through a keyhole and you got like a couple quick flashes and then it just said Hellraiser 3. And I know that's a lot easier to do when you're doing a sequel to an already established thing, but the trailer for a movie like this should have never been more than a full minute. Like it should have been, here's the premise, here's the setup, and then get out like as quickly as possible because crowds are either going to see it or they're not going to see it based on on a few minutes and all you're going to do with the more you give is is spoil the good jokes and guarantee people don't want to go (laughs) yeah it sucks because test audiences have really destroyed the trailer audiences especially well i'm not going to just zero out american audiences this is also worldwide because they are advertising these to a mass base you know the whole world they have to cut it down to almost like a fourth grade level. Yeah. And that means they can't challenge the audience and they don't want to trick them except a 22. They'll trick everyone. I think, or is that studio 20, whatever that is. A 24, a 24. They did hereditary. They'll yeah. trick fucking anyone, but 
the audience no longer wants to be fooled and we are getting dragged down on an anchor, especially when it comes to people who enjoy film, not just for entertainment, but to look for something else, look deeper. That part of the audience is no longer being looked at. And I believe it was at one time, especially the 50s, 60s, and 70s. They were looking to impress those people. Once the 80s came about, it was just like, hey, mass produce this shit. Let's get it out. Yeah. No, I I can see that. Yeah. And you can definitely see it because they ruined so much. And in this movie, not only this movie, but so many other movies. So moving on, let's actually go through my three things. I'll start with this and let you... um, Talk about it. Let's talk about the first one where I was like, oh, let's let's calm down, family guy. The cow porn. Yeah. <laughs> that needed to probably be a quick flash, and then your brain got it, but it didn't like just keep going, 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 which they did. So uh, I think they should re-edit that part where it's just fast and we get going, and you're kind of like, did I just see an octopus jerking off a cow? I, I will say that that scene probably got one of the bigger laughs out of the audience that I saw it with. I kind of just, I just kind of groaned it. The first like 10 minutes of this movie, I felt, Oh no, what I'm, I've made a mistake. Like, like right out the gate. Uh, and then once the mystery started to go, at least I started to get invested in that a little bit, but yeah, that the, the octopus jerking off a cow is really a moment where I, definitely felt myself going yeah no we've gone a little this is where this is going i guess i guess this is the movie i i thought that the the uh non-stop jizz scene in the trailer was just going to be the one shocking gross out moment but here we are <laughs> yeah and i didn't even find that grossing and shock out because they already ruined it yeah so to me it was just like lame let's keep moving already seen this in the trailer um, and by the way, like the two minute long trailer that I saw, the two minute long trailer, they literally pretty much played everything. Yeah. I figured out who the murderer was <clears throat> right after the dogs ripped apart his brother. Oh, how? I'm curious because I actually no, was surprised I, I, by the twist. That was like I, the one thing that caught me off guard. <laughs> nothing, nothing gave it away. Uh, I just whispered over her because I was like, I bet it's Sandra. <laughs> and she looked at me and she's like, why? And I go, I don't know. That's who, that's if I was a writer, that's who I'd put. And I was I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> well, so I, I alluded to this earlier. And like when it was revealed, I'm like, oh, OK, because like that is a very like it's a very film noir thing that you have someone who comes into the office and they're hiring the detective. And it feels like it's not tied to the main plot at all. And then they end up being the the victim or the the culprit uh that happens a lot in old film noir so i was like okay i like that i was leaning towards elizabeth banks a lot throughout the movie because i'm like all right well that just kind of makes sense and then when she blew uh i mean spoiler but when she explodes in the car i was kind of like yeah she ain't dead (laughs) Like, like i still was really banking on elizabeth banks being the killer that's funny because I thought she was dead. I was like, oh, that surprises me that you do that. Yeah. But it was also part of like, oh, she was kind of a red herring. Yeah. Elizabeth Banks to me felt like the red herring. And it was so obvious. I go, well, I was thinking she was dead because I was like, oh, that surprises me. <laughs> but then when she came back and she was actually part of the plot of the uh, killings, I was like, oh, well, I like that. I thought that was that's very detective 1940s, 50s. 
you know, like fake your own death type thing, exploding car. By the way, an exploding car, that is very much film noir. Yes. No, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. And then the other one that um, was just crazy was, you know, the puppet liver. But after I've thought about it for a while, I actually really like this. No, I I was going to say this earlier when we were talking about Melissa McCarthy, but I actually think that her character is a very interesting character because of the whole puppet liver storyline. Because there is that scene where she goes like, you know, I, I'm not fully human, but I'm not a puppet. But like everyone gives her shit because she has a piece of a puppet inside of her. And I was like, I kind of dig that. And I dig the relationship that she has with Phil where, you know, he's doing something to save someone that he cares about. And to her, in her eyes, he kind of ruined her life at the same time. Yeah. Plus, you have the parallels of she's, you know, a female in a man's world. And then you have a puppet in a human's world. I was like, okay, I see what you're doing here. Uh, I thought that was I liked it, even though they did not call it out. Other than they kept calling her a man which i thought was kind of humorous at first and then it got really old because they did it about five or six times and i'm like okay movie i got it (laughs) i got it she's masculine or masculine stop it (laughs) just this is also part of the family guy thing we're like oh the joke's funny twice it's old five times well then let's go eight where it's funny again like no it's not working yeah that, I don't think that philosophy has ever truly worked. That might be controversial. Some people fucking love Family Guy. <laughs> like an American Dad? Pfft, never even watched, really. I'm sure it was funny, but not for me. I've never watched it, and I've had so many people that hate Family Guy as much as I do promise me that it is the best show that Seth MacFarlane has ever created. So I'm always curious to try it out, but... uh there's a lot of seasons, and I don't have the time to, to dive into it. <laughs> a lot of dedication right there. All right, last one. Purple Puppet Pussy. Yeah, the basic instinct joke. And this is definitely the point where, again, I feel like, yeah, this is so different than what I think his dad's vision was of using puppets to entertain adults. Yeah, not only is this super dated reference, but no one laughed in the theater. In fact, it only made everyone feel uncomfortable. Yeah. There were some teenagers in my audience. We had maybe 30, 40 people in our audience, probably closer to 30. The only ones truly laughing were like 12-year-olds, which clearly bought a ticket for something else and then snuck into this. Here's my problem. This was 13-year-old boy humor. So it might do better on DVD, but when you're releasing this into the theater, most likely all your audience is going to be about my age, your age. Yeah. We're the same age. Uh, and it's not fully doing it. No, it doesn't work. So who are you marketing this towards? I don't know. I was lost. It's important, again, to say, like, I know this sounds like we're being nitpicky, but... You and I being people who love puppets as much as we do, like we should be the people that are unapologetically loving this movie, even though we know it's bad. And like I'm like, I will probably I'll be honest, I will probably buy this movie. That doesn't say much because I own a lot of movies, but it's because I do see nuggets of a good movie inside of it. I feel like Jason Siegel was the only person 
in a very long time to really know how to do puppets, like do the Muppets and do the Jim Henson legacy properly. I, I'm sure I'm sounding very, very uh, opinionated and very, very pretentious about this, but it, you know, Mupp- the Muppets are more than horror, more than Disney, more than any of that stuff. Like the biggest thing for me that I just hold very dear and I'm very protective over. And, you know, when Jim Henson died, like Muppets Christmas Carol was very good. Like I won't even I have no complaints. It was a very good movie. And, you know, Muppet Treasure Island was fine and Muppets to Space was pretty bad. And then there was these Muppet TV movies that had no clue what they were doing or what they were being. And they just couldn't get the vibe correctly. And then Jason Segel rolls in and they do Muppets and it's fantastic. And then Jason Segel goes away Yep. and they do a, the Muppets Most Wanted. And it was OK, but you could feel that something was missing. And then there was the Muppets TV show that didn't really work for me. And now there's this. And it, it feels like Brian Henson so badly wants to do something outside of what his dad's company was designed for. And I totally get that. But I almost wish that he would just direct a movie with without the puppets then. As of right now, Brian Henson is more try than talent. Yeah. He is full of passion for this. He wants to find a way to bridge these 80s and 90s kids who grew up on his dad's stuff and to send them into the future now when they're in their 30s and 40s. I get it, but it's incredibly difficult. It just can't be done by many people. And you have to find that special person that can do it. And he's not it right now. Now, maybe he'll change. But as of right now, this just isn't a good movie. And I wanted it to be really badly. Know know who would make a great, like, would really do great taking on the Muppets is someone like Brad Bird. Someone who has this understanding of how to tell something that will appeal to an entire family while not talking down to any member of the audience. And I feel like that was always what the the Henson goal was, was never to make he didn't want to be pigeonheld as a children's performer, but he didn't want to create anything that isolated anybody. So it was all about okay, this is written for adults, but it's going to have these puppets so that kids can watch and enjoy it too. And we can't be too crass because we have to acknowledge that that's who's going to be in the audience. And that's why Muppet Movie and Great Muppet Caper and Muppets Take Manhattan and the whole Muppet show and, you know, Labyrinth and Dark Crystal and all these things that he made were so perfect was because like you can be my age and enjoy those movies Or you could be the age I was when I watched those movies and enjoy those movies because there's a smartness to them and there's a brilliance to them and they don't explain every joke to you. And, you know, some jokes don't make any sense until I'm in my late 20s. But like, I was just excited to see these characters that I love. So I was going to watch it like we need someone who has that ability to both speak to an adult while thinking like a child simultaneously. And Brian Henson doesn't really have it. Yeah, and you need a lot more clever wit. These shock jokes are too first layer, and you need multiple layered jokes. And I felt Maya Rudolph's character was going into that in a very bubbly way. And it's just, we need more of that. If you're going to 
put all these adult jokes into something where you're also tailoring it towards kids. It needs to be witty. So you can watch it 10 times and in the future go, oh my God, I never got that joke. Exactly. We don't have that. That will never happen in this movie. Do you know how old I was when I pieced together that Mel Brooks's character in the Muppet movie is an ex-Nazi? Like, <laughs> like that was not something that was apparent to me as a kid. And it's it's not even something that's super noticeable right away as an adult. But like you watch the movie enough times and you realize that he says a few random phrases where you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, Plus, I mean, Mel Brooks is a genius. So, <laughs> well, and that was the other thing. Jim Henson, from what I gathered, seemed like a guy who was like, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have these puppets. We're going to write this crazy script, but we're also going to bring in all of the funniest people that we can imagine and let them just go wild with these things and and have a very like loose set attitude. But like this movie ends with outtakes, right? Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like the goal was to outshock everybody on set in all of those outtakes. Oh, I think that's absolutely what it was. I, I believe this movie was pretty much created by the puppeteers on their off time doing funny X-rated jokes with the puppets, especially after they just did a children's show. Yeah. And you could tell these puppeteers are having a fucking blast. And I think the, the last five minutes are some of the best. Yeah, just watching them goof around and have these outtakes. Yeah. I, I thought the first 10 minutes was really good where I was like, uh-oh, we might have something here. Uh, especially when the one puppet's dancing on the street and the kids are picking on him. He's like, hey, man, you don't have to do that anymore. And I was like, oh, what are we, we're going to go into something on this. And then he's like, but I like to do it. And he's like, oh, fuck. Yeah. And I was like, oh, there, there's something there. But uh, it just dissipates. I, I still stand by if we cut 10 minutes out of this movie and maybe a big chunk of that is just shortening up jokes and not having them repeat over and over again. It'd be a solid like B movie. Like I don't think there's any way to make this like an A plus film that would be on everybody's best of list, but it could have been a very enjoyable movie. And fortunately, like at the best, this is like a C minus. Yeah, there was a lot of things that were tried and a few of them worked. Yeah, I would give this a C minus. It's just so flat. And you know what? If someone gave this a D or an F, I couldn't really argue against it because I get it. I'm totally grading this on a curve. Oh, yeah. I'm grading this as a person who refuses to give anything with puppets lower than a C minus. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our bias opinion. <laughs> like the sheer fact that there is a puppet in it. I'm like, I'm in. <laughs> that was pretty much it. That's why I had to see it. I was told like, oh, you can skip this. It's not very good. And I'm like, nope, nope. They're going to get my money. That's just it. Yeah. All right. So let's move into our recommendations. Unless you have any other final words. No, I think we're good. Okay. Our recommendations. Matt, do you recommend this as a must-go-see in the theater? I do not, but something that's currently in the theater that I do think is worth people's time and seeing, and it's been kind of the sleeper hit of the year, is Crazy Rich Asians, is a delightful like 90s rom-com throwback that is absolutely worth your time. Ooh, I like that. He recommends something else. Uh, no, I do not recommend you see this in the theater unless you are freaks like Matt and I. Uh, you can wait for it on whatever streaming service picks it up. Oh, this will be huge on Netflix. When it gets on the Netflix streaming, absolutely give it a shot. Because kids can watch it. Like, you know, the 10, 12-year-old boys who are just like dying for this were 
they're not supposed to watch it. That's why they will. This is this is the equivalency of my childhood listening to Adam Sandler CDs is what this will be for kids. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but you guys want a recommendation that you should watch and I has not got enough attention except by people like us. Go see Upgrade. It is now streaming and it is awesome. All right, that's going to end the Happy Time Murders discussion. Now we're going to move into Matt. Horror Movie Night is, is known. You don't need to advertise that anymore. No. But there is something you do need to advertise. Why don't you explain to us why all these listeners out there in Geekscape world and beyond, why they should listen to Disneydos? I love a handful of things with a fiery passion. One of them obviously being puppets. Uh, another one being bad horror films from the 80s and 90s. But one of the things that I have a uncontrollable, unashamed love for is Disney, uh, both parks and the films. But I felt like I had hosted enough things. <laughs> uh, so I talked to two coworkers of mine and convinced them that we should try this t- this little shot at doing a podcast. Uh, and I had the name Disneydo sitting in the back of my brain for some reason, uh, always with the intention of changing it. And then it just kind of was like, ah, fuck it. We'll go with it. Uh, I probably should have changed it because it is not a very searchable word. But uh, So we came up with the Disneyto podcast and it's just two friends drinking wine and talking about Disney. And uh, it's one of the few explicit Disney podcasts out there. Uh, because we, I, I don't feel like editing every curse and, you know, as the wine flows, their their tongues just get a little bit looser. So, Oh, are we talking about a Disney podcast after that line right there? The wine <laughs> flows and the tongues get looser? <laughs> what, what kind of Disney podcast is this? We're like the equivalency of the drunk bard in Sleeping Beauty. Uh, so, Oh, he's taking it right back to Disney. I like it. There you go. That's how we do. So we talk about such topics as, uh, I mean, the episode that's out right now is them listing the characters that they would have sex with if they could. Um, so it's definitely uh, a little bit of a darker sense of humor than most Disney podcasts. So if you're into Disney, but you're also an adult who doesn't need to be talked down to and just kind of have everything handled with safety gloves. Uh, because usually if Disney's in a podcast, you have to just assume that children are listening. We're the podcast for you, for better or for worse. <laughs> so definitely check us out. I highly recommend as a starting point. Uh, we did an episode on them listing their favorite Disney Channel original movies that I still think is one of the funniest episodes we ever did. So uh, that's a good starting point to kind of decide, is this for me? <laughs> and do they come out on Tuesdays, Mondays? What's our release date? Sorry, uh, that will be available every Tuesday morning at Geekscape.net as well as DisneyDoPodcast.com that was built by some guy. He's really not that important. He sure isn't. It was it was Steven. Steven built the website. Steven's great. Go to Steven if you need websites. He's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, everyone. Thanks for coming by and listening to Analog Jones and meeting other Matt. Hey! Or, or Matthew. I don't know which one to call you. I th- it's weird calling you Matthew, so I'm going to just stick with Matt or other Matt. <laughs> but yeah, you can listen to him mostly on Horror Movie Night podcast, which, I mean, from the numbers uh, most people do from Geekscape. But again, you can also hear his lovely voice as a producer on Disney. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen up for our new one, our other 
Will Smith. I don't know if you guys know that I love Will Smith, but we're doing Wild Wild West. Wicky Wild Wild West. <laughs> Sing the song in your head. Let it just, you know, stick to you like glitter because it's beautiful. All right, everyone. See you later. Hey, do you guys like horror movies? I do. Do they always have to be good movies? No way. I prefer them to be crap, personally. Well, then you guys are in luck because Horror Movie Night is your expert podcast on both horror movies, good, bad, and gooey. It's just a show of three friends. Brother. Yeah, two brothers and a friend, I, I think you would call. But we're also, we're all friends here. You know, We're friends. We we're all around. friends here. Yeah. We're friends. We goof around. But we- <laughs> We talk about we talk about movies, but we normally don't actually talk about movies, which is kind of weird. It's, it's a weird dynamic. You have to really listen to understand it. But we put together a show every Friday morning. You can find our show, hmnpodcast.com. Uh, we're part of the Geekscape Network. We are, you know, we're good guys. Just check us out. We're good, silly guys. We're, we're fun. Please like me. Please. <laughs> That's pretty Please. much the impetus of everything we do is to be accepted. We want to yeah. be loved hmmpodcast.com